Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, Emmy Award-winning actor and head of school at Proctor Academy in Andover, New Hampshire, Brian Thomas. Hey, what you drinking? Okay, I'm back at it. Uh, we're gonna have another incredible conversation. And uh, you know, I know we keep bringing in amazing people to talk to about whiskey, jazz, and leadership. And these are just people that I know. These are just folks that are in my contact list. And they haven't kicked me out, so I, I, you know, I'm calling them. I'm bringing them to you. And this person is, I believe, the closest I'm ever going to get to a true Renaissance man. This guy is an educator. He is like brilliant for real. He is not only got his own chops, but he's educating future leaders uh, for the country and the world. So the folks that we're counting on to like fix us from all the mistakes that we're making, this is the guy that's getting those people ready. Not only that, he's got like a whole entire life prior to getting into the work that he's doing. Mr. Brian Thomas, welcome to Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Galen. Man, I I hope I can live up to that because <laughs> I feel very honored to be a guest on your show. I've known you for you know six, seven years, you know, since we were in St. Louis together. And it has been uh, I moved to New Hampshire where I'm running a different school uh, than I was helping to run before. And I'm so pleased to be here. Ah, fantastic. Well, hey, we got a lot to talk about because it's been a while since we've had a meaningful conversation. One of the first questions I've got to ask, uh, and this is just to stave off the the picketing and the writing that happens uh, when I don't ask this question right away. Yeah. So here we go. So what you drinking? What am I drinking? Uh, it looks like if if you could see it at, at home, which you can't, it would look like it's a water bottle filled with something, but my drink of choice is Glenlivet 12. Well, hey, man, if you if you drink brown liquor, then Glenlivet, that is, <laughs> I mean, that's about as close to the top shelf as most people can play. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, but that that would be, be it. But because I'm working in a school, I'm not going to say actually what I'm drinking. It may be water. It may be Glenlivet. It may be something else. We're going to let the imagination run wild right. with those who are listening and, yeah. and let them do with that whatever they will with their imagination. Uh, I, I'm going to hold true to the, the branding of this conversation, and I'm going to stick with some some brown liquor. This is something that uh, I have enjoyed before, and uh, when I had it before, I didn't appreciate how how difficult it was to get. And so, w- when I had an opportunity to see it again, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually with my wife, and my wife said, "Well, you know, Galen, you know, if this if it's really that important to you, you should go ahead and get it." 
And I said, really? Really? She said, as a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's, I think it was Father's Day at the time. And she said, I'll mm -hmm. tell you what, if it will make you feel better, I will get this for you for Father's Day. And I was wow. like, oh, gosh, I mean, that, that sounds like the kind of wife that you just want to make sure you hold on to forever. Exactly. And then, and then we went up to the cash register to pay for it. And she said, you know, hey, wait a second, though. If you, purchase this then it's it's actually a, a business expense right huh. and uh you know well you know that's what my accountant says she says well you know it would really make sense if you took care of this as opposed to huh. me taking care of it and so she actually talked me into buying this for myself for father's day and uh that is stag jr barrel proof unfiltered and this is some grown folk stuff too. This is clocking in at 128.7 proof. So I'm just gonna, uh, I'm wow. gonna pop a little bit. Yeah, this is, you know, we don't play around. We're gonna just put a little bit in here. <laughs> just put a little bit. Wow. And, um, and it's got a nice color. I, I get notes huh. of nutmeg. And like I said, I, I just barely got into this uh, because uh, I got a nurtured a little bit, but it really does bring together just the fullness of the experience of what it means to enjoy whiskey for me. And I selected that for this conversation because you really have represented for me just the fullness of how to live a life because you've done a couple of things that we're going to get into that a lot of people dare not even say, you know, I'd love to do that someday. And you have done those things fully at the highest levels, you know, winning awards. And uh, I, I'm just going to stop gushing and I'm going to let you just share a little bit about your background, uh, what you've done. And I, I'm going to enjoy this Father's Day gift <laughs> while you share your story. Uh, you know, I, for me, the, the thing that kicks me off are teachers. And I was born in Harvey, Illinois, but lived in Robbins, Illinois, we moved back to Harvey when I was 10. Robbins is just basically a post-it size town in the north. Looks like a little Mississippi town in the north. And the people that have come out of this town, um, not to mention my brother, who's been very successful, probably one of the top infertility doctors, OBGYNs in the nation, Dr. Michael Thomas. But Michelle Nichols, who just passed away, uh, may she rest in power. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Kiki Palmer came from this one mile square of a town, not to mention others. So there was greatness in it. I think our teachers launched us and they were so impactful for me. Um, by the time I moved over to the town that was supposed to be integrated, it was less integrated because of white flight uh, within years. But by the time I moved over, I was at the top of my class. Black teachers from Mississippi, from the Delta, who really came together to get, to give us a platform. And from that platform, achieved kind of at the highest levels within high school, went on to, um, to Yale, did well there, decided to become an actor. And from there, really began to gather some strength working on shows off-Broadway. First met August Wilson right before he launched it big uh, with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and then later Fences coming out of that period. Rock Dutton was there. But then my own acting career was launched from that place uh, in New Haven. And I parlayed that to my first teaching gig was on the set of The Cosby Show. <laughs> and then Fast Break to Glory, uh, Chicago production, 
Emmy Award winning work and then uh, A Different World uh, where I played Robert Kim's boyfriend. So that's what most people would know me from, uh, I would say. But the the life's work has been in education uh, and it's been seriously my uh, passion. You know, th there's a, a line from a, a David Wilcox song that says, you know, what, what happens when you put your dreams away? I don't know if I've ever put my dreams away. You can do what's second best, but it's hard to get enough. Wow. Right? You do what's second best, but it's hard to get enough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's that's a heck of a nut nutshell because yep. you, you have touched on so many things that I can relate to having talked to people who have this same experience of coming from a very, very small town. Right. That so many people would overlook. If you're looking for it on a map, you probably won't find it unless you're looking specifically right. for it. But so many amazing people come from that same small town. Yeah. You know, the 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 joke used to be what's in the water, but there has yeah. to be something in the water. Exactly. It's excellence in the water. Like Kinlock, uh, Missouri, right? Uh Kinlock, Missouri, uh, all those great people like John Cawthorn, who played my dad. Uh, and we we did a couple of things together. Actor, brilliant actor. You still see him around. Zora Neale Hurston, great writer. Mm. Langston Hughes. You see all these people come from really small black towns. And there aren't very many of them. Sort of black run towns. There was a, a, a sense of, you know, you got to be good. You got to be better. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so similar story in my family where my parents came from an incredibly small town. Helena, Arkansas, okay. so small that they had to combine with the neighboring town. So technically the name of the town is Helena, West Helena, Arkansas, because they had to combine to have a large enough population to do the things that towns need to have. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you look at all of the amazing people that came out of that town, uh, specifically that were educated in a um, uh, high school, Eliza Miller High School, which was a historically all black high school segregated mm -hmm. high school mm -hmm. the graduates are doctors lawyers professors yeah. yep. you know harvard admissions uh you know professionals they all come out of that same uh era that same town and they all cite that same adage that i just heard from you that there was there was almost a requirement there was almost yep. a, a mandatory uh, why aren't you pressing for greatness if you if you right. weren't right. where do you think that came from and why is that such a common place amongst these small towns that seem to not have a lot of resources at their disposal i i actually think that a lot of um you know i did cite some people who came after the sort of the resonance of brown versus board of education like Dwayne wade who came from my town and kiki palmer uh who's just lighting it up but i do think that there was something about like this is for us by us kind of thing and i do believe that what my definition of excellence may be different than yours maybe different than other people but it's like and some of it is are actually borrowed these words are borrowed from one of my former bosses andre agassi uh helped him launch his school in las vegas his high school there the adage is get one day better every day it's not about getting an award it's not about hanging out do the work mm -hmm. one day better every day that's it and, and when you look at it over our history, from slavery times to modern times, if people say, okay, I, I have to 
continue to strive. I have to get better. And sometimes I might take two steps back, but in a couple of days, it may be three steps forward. You know, certainly, um, you know, our hard work and, and God and the universe and all of that matters. It's pushing us in that direction of, of excellence. But if you can, if, if you can put your backs to it and it own it, like own the mistakes and, and be thankful for the successes. Uh, but I, I think that's basically what our, you know, our forefathers had to do in order to survive, right? And the the idea that somebody was going to give you something that was then going to change your life, I'm going to win the lottery, or I'm going to inherit a bunch of money, uh, usually, I mean, but not always, those people are less successful, mm. right? They, they are, they're waiting around for mm. something to happen that probably will never happen, right? And their eyes are watching God, right? Those Black people who started that town, Eatonville, which is a real place uh, that Zora Neale Hurston grew up, that metaphor was about, you know, what men on the shore are looking at. They're looking at those ships out in the distance, and women are really thinking about how can I improve my lot, my life now, here and now, right? And they're just about putting one foot in front of the other. But both are okay. The 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 one it's a chiasmus right the one is like frederick Douglass. she's referencing frederick Douglass, and the other is like this is what black women do yes they're gonna fall in love yes they're, they're gonna be uh sometimes mothers yes uh but they are putting one foot in front of the other doing what it takes not to just get by but to get over wow so th this conversation is already like going really really deep so i, I feel the need i feel the need to work in uh, this question now, because yep. I, I believe that you can help me answer this question and sure. possibly frame the rest of our conversation okay. uh, in, in, in these, in these, uh, with this metaphor in mind. So the, the name of this podcast is whiskey, jazz and leadership. And a lot of times people will ask me, Kaylin, what's with the name? And, you know, here I, I like all three, literally. I, I like whiskey. I, I like jazz. And every conversation I have seems to tie into leadership somehow. But I also love the metaphors. And that's what I really would love for you to help me with. Help me articulate sure. this. Sure. So for me, the, the metaphor of whiskey is doing what you enjoy with those who enjoy it with you, that you that you just passionately just enjoy, regardless of what those outside of your crew think about that thing that you enjoy. The metaphor of jazz is uh, how do you get from where you are to where you want to be or need to be, even in the absence of sheet music, even when you don't have a script in front of you, you, you still have to get from where you are to where you need to be on yeah. time, in key. And since this is your life, you might as well make it sound nice, even when you don't have things written out for you. And right. then the, the metaphor of leadership for me is nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And even if you're a vegetarian, you got to kill a plant, but nothing happens until someone does something. Someone has to stand up and say, we are going left. Give me some suggestions as to why left might not be the best idea, but in the absence of any suggestions, we're going sure. left. Uh, and until that happens, we're just meandering and talking about interesting things. Uh, so for me, those three things fit together metaphorically as well as literally. 
how does that hold water for you? How does that metaphor hold water for you as it pertains to life and all the all the amazing things that that you've done? You know, we look we look back for it, uh, and the, the American myth is is that people have made it by themselves, and in many ways, Malcolm Gladwell disproves that. Right that that nobody makes it by themselves. There's usually somebody cheerleading in your corner, opening up a door, pointing the way, leaving the back door open for you in some ways. So like that, that is, is the myth of a self-made person. And if you do, if you've got, if you've gotten to a certain um, amount and that's what you really truly believe, I hope, you know, you, you never are challenged because you're going to need those people around you to support you and even though other people may not, like you said, understand what it is that you're doing, if you've got and have convinced other people, leaders, that the way forward is something that you collectively done, and you can even say, yep, uh, it's our vision, my vision, whatever, I believe in, in our, then that's a really important, important thing. And a script, so having direction, right? Um, having the the metaphor of jazz as and, and when people you remember when people came out there was such a strong reaction against jazz right they created you know in the face of of jazz um what was created square dancing <laughs> right so <laughs> that's like, our response <laughs> that was the response and it's like no we've created probably the most interesting and uh, innovative music uh in the history of the world based on both what you see on the page and what you don't see on the page and what you can create out of whole cloth. Uh, and sometimes referencing the other person that you're playing with, sometimes you're playing against them, sometimes you're playing in the in the same place. It is the most creative endeavor, um, musically probably ever. And you see people, my favorite musician, you talked a little bit about that, uh, maybe it will come up again, it's Clifford Brown, died young, but was a virtuoso, right? Virtuals could play anything. Notes clear as the bell, right? In the Miles era. And um, tragically, brother should have never been behind the wheel of any cars because he had so many car accidents when he was growing up in Philadelphia. But he was brilliant. Clifford Brown with strings, Clifford Brown, Cherokee, some of the best music ever ever laid down. Um, so that's uh, that thing. And then nobody eats nobody unless you're doing something unless you're making something i when i look at my students i see builders i see people who are putting their back into things like our school is different like mm -hmm. proctor academy which is the school i'm the head of uh, not headmaster we got rid of that term a long time ago <laughs> uh head of school really is about uh getting kids out uh, backpacking across the american southwest uh, on tall ships. We had been doing this tall ship thing for 30 years, right? Uh, this past year, we doubled down on like um, critical race theory. Like, no, we're going into it. We're going to study uh, the history of slavery from a tall ship, and we're going to stand over the place where the last slave ship came to America, the Clotilda in Mobile, Alabama. Like, that was bold, right? Do not stand on the sidelines, on the shore. Be bold. Uh, and then getting kids to Spain, getting kids to France, that's what they are looking forward to. And at the same time, we're prepping them here on our 2,500 acres in Andover, New Hampshire, and people are heeding the call. You know, there is really something 
amazing and special uh, about Proctor, and people call it the Proctor Magic. There's an intersection between who a kid is and what they want to be, and we then put in some important relationship that will get them to that place. Like, that's what we are. It is about life prep, then college prep. I came here for basketball, and I've learned that that's just not who I am. I'm not just a designated basketball player, I am more than that. And I have learned a lot about myself. I have grown in many ways, mentally, physically, and I'm very proud of my growth so far. Proctor has pushed me to be the person who I am today. What I love about my teaching and the teaching that I'm doing with my colleagues is that we're not scared to roll up our sleeves. We're not scared to ask the question, is what we're doing actually serving our students best? You know, these schools are largely, have been educating some of the same elites for a long, long time. Ours is different because many of our kids have not been successful in schools that they've come from. Mm -hmm. Many of them don't have the track record but they love something and that's the thing that that we draft off of so we are about educating doers and builders as opposed to people standing on the shore sitting on the sidelines wow i, I love that boy there's so much that we could get into because i really want to ask you about this whole this whole uproar about uh critical race theory i have just done so law schools I, law schools <laughs> I have just never understood <laughs> why there is so such concern about, let me ask you, because what I understand is that what we think of as critical race theory isn't actually what was created under the tagline of uh, critical race it, theory. What is that? Critical race theory is uh, was created by Kimberly Crenshaw and others uh, who really looked at the uh, intersection, and this is mostly, it's taught in law schools and graduate schools mainly, really looking at the intersection of race and other identities, but mostly uh, gender too. So when we talk about race, sometimes Black women aren't talked about very much. Hmm. Like during the, and Kimberly Crenshaw really saw this during the hearing with um, Clarence Thomas, right? Clarence Thomas versus Anita Hill, mm. right? So who prevails? Who prevails in that in that argument? Not the black woman, right? And it doesn't mean that you're you know you're you're always sort of lifting up these voices that aren't lifted up, but the intersectionality, which is kind of at the root of it, is really what it's about. And we don't talk about intersectionality. I mean, we talk about marginalized groups and and um, whose voices aren't we listening to or aren't we hearing? I mean, it, it is a way for some groups of people to silence and distance and marginalize others to say, I don't want my kids listening to that. And they're not, <laughs> you know, if we don't want to study Martin Luther King Jr. or, you know, or I don't know, Fred T. Karamatsu, who was, who was basically Rosa Parks during the Japanese internment, he refused to go to the internment camps and was jailed as a result. Um, there's a Fred T. Karamatsu Day in California. There's a school named after uh, Karamatsu in Oakland, California. You have to lift up some of these voices or like our indigenous brothers and sisters, you 
can be stripped of the things that are most sacred to you because you are powerless and mm. not visible. So our job is to say, whose voices are we hearing? Whose stories are we hearing? Whose aren't? And should we be able to be a bigger, broader, more prosperous nation because we are listening to every voice and, and really uh, making sure that the stories, even the, the ones that are hard to hear, that they're lifted up. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is the concern with those or for those who say, I don't want to hear those stories. I don't want my kids to know about those stories. Keep that out of the classroom. What's the fear behind that concern, do you believe? Well, just like the fear with jazz music, <laughs> right? It was that people were going to be out there corrupting our kids, mm -hmm. right? So they made this dance, square dancing. Right, you know, uh, the uh, Henry Henry Ford said, you know, that music is corrupting. It's vile. It's evil. It's satanic. Let's create something where people hardly touch each other. In fact, square. And, and I'm not saying this is bad. I mean, I think we probably all went through a period of square dancing at some point if you grew up in a certain point in time. But we live in a binary kind of world, and within that binary, there are the winners and losers, blacks and whites, even though we we're much more of a broader, deeper amalgam of people uh, than that. And there, there's got to be in this competitive um, environment, there've got to be people that win, there've got to be people that lose. And I don't buy that. I think that we are all influencing, bumping off of each other, uh, making each other better. You know, when we can critique each other, when we can uh, accept each other and and even bring um, the best practices from one group or groups uh, together. Mm, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and there, there is a chance. Well, you know, I, I've explained it this way. I, I absolutely believe that what I'm doing is right, but there's a good chance that I might not have all the information. So yeah. if you can share information yeah. that would allow me to make a more informed decision, <laughs> I really want to know what that what that better solution is. And it's it's always amazing to me when I see people in the news or on television and they're saying, nope, I believe what I believe and I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to yeah. take the chance of having to change my position. And no less Tichi uh, talks about this idea that if given the choice between between being uh, correct or being in power, people will choose being in power all the time. Because to be correct means that you have to constantly be in search of where my point of view needs to be upgraded. And no yeah. one wants to upgrade. Confirmation bias. Yeah, if I can find and cherry pick everything that's going to make me, you know, like we would never advance as a as a culture, right? If you were always, and you know this, people were like, I'm always right. No, you're not, <laughs> right? Uh, and and I can tell you three or four or five or six different ways. And the the problem is, is there's no growth there, right? And it's great to 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 have the fallacy that. Um, that we as a, a people, we as a nation, we as a whatever have not been wrong, but really we only gain and we only strengthen by not just admitting mistakes, but then improving upon those mistakes so that we can be better. Mm. Imagine if you, if we were still using the same initial uh, iPhone that came out, 
imagine what our lives would, would look like, right? That iPhone, they would have been lapped many, many times ago, right? Imagine we were still driving the cars from the 1940s and 1920s and 1930s. There was no really improvement. Why are there improvements? Is because some stuff failed. Like, I don't want to buy that. That's a gross color. That motor doesn't work. <laughs> that engine, that fa- that interfacing, it's not beautiful. Whatever it is. Like, we only improve by acknowledging and admitting and looking at our mistakes. We only improve as people by saying, you know what? We did some wrong things. To I, I just got back from South Dakota um, and seeing folks in the res. It was heartening because we were part of this sacred ceremony from uh, folks from our school, but it was also hard because having, you know, generations and generations of, uh, of people who are pushed down and pushed to the side, it's just debilitating. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guest and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.